0: You see, I was raised in the segregated Jim Crow era of the South. Legalized racism. White and colored signs clouded my, my childhood. They were everywhere. On the restrooms. And if you were out in public and you wanted a simple drink of water, you were greeted by white and colored signs over the water fountain. And one of America's worst terrorist attacks also occurred in my hometown. The bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church where four little girls were killed by a bomb planted by the Ku Klux Klan while attending Sunday school. And if I may, on a personal note, one of those four little girls, Denise McNair, She lived just down the street from me. These were tough times, and we had to grow up fast. I was nine years old when the Alabama state troopers brutally beat hundreds of peaceful protesters marching across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. Their crime, going to register to vote. And that awful day became known as Bloody Sunday. My father was a Baptist preacher. His church was less than two miles from the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And two weeks after Bloody Sunday, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. led another peaceful protest, this time thousands. And this time they were not denied. That march went on to change America. No, that march changed the world. Due to that march and other acts of courage, in 1982, I became CNN's first African-American cameraman assigned to the White House. Thank you.
1: Hi, it's D here. I'm founder and curator of InspireFest. Welcome to Real Humans. This year we wanted to do something a little unexpected. So we set up a booth backstage at InspireFest. All we had in that booth was a microphone and a series of cards that could be turned over to reveal a question. After they gave their talk and left the main stage, our speakers went into the booth, chose questions at random, and they ended up sharing lots of interesting stories and ideas with us. We wanted to create something that would give you a better idea of the human side of our speakers rather than just the technology, science and innovations that they talk about on stage. So we really hope you enjoy the results. It was something very new for us and a place that is not afraid to try new things is the Digital Hub, our supporters for the podcast series. The Digital Hub is in the liberties in the heart of Dublin city in Ireland, it's a collaborative space and it's home to lots of technology and digital media companies, but it's more than just an office. You can visit thedigitalhub.com to find out more. Now let's run this experiment. All right, so the cards are there with your questions on them, microphones are on in, and then I'll leave you to
0: it. My name is Reggie Selma, and I am an international keynote speaker. What do you do when you need to reboot or get inspired? I do a couple of things. I love music. Music always gets me gives me, I should say, that confirmation that I'm doing okay, be it Marvin Gaye, Aretha Franklin, give me Shelter by the Rolling Stones. I still get goosebumps when I I hear that song. What is your guilty pleasure? Hmm. Probably watching horror movies from the 60s on a rainy Saturday when no one's home and eating ice cream also when no one's home. (laughs) Do you consider yourself lucky and why? Oh, God, yes. I consider myself lucky and blessed. I met my dear sweet wife, Sandy, who is a flight attendant with United Airlines, sort of in a very lucky way, one of a... Uh, few that was a flight attendant I'm a White House used to be a White House cameraman this is the White House press plane and a regular crew member regular flight attendant called in sick and United Airlines as Sandy who was on reserve at the time would she mind working a White House press plane with President Reagan she said yes it was love at first sight we went out on our first date In fact, I took her to lunch at the White House. How about that for being impressive? And this trip is already special, but is even more special as Sandy and I celebrate our 33rd wedding anniversary while we're here in Ireland. How about that for luck? What's the novel, play, poem, or song that's had the most impact on you? Hmm... Song, probably Amazing Grace. My father would sing that song as he was preparing for a sermon on a Saturday. And every time I hear that song, I love Aretha Franklin's version of it. And it always uh, takes me back to my childhood. A poem, I love Maya Angelou's Phenomenal Woman. I've told the women in my life, my Wife and my two daughters, and my sister, and various friends and relatives, that they are phenomenal women. Why do you do what you do? I love to talk. My mother, when I was very small, would say, Reginald, you could talk a billy goat out of his horns. (laughs) I'm a public speaker. And I'm telling stories about my life on the road with the past five US presidents. So there was no question in my mind when I retired from CNN that I would spread these stories around. What is the biggest misconception people have about the work you do? Hmm. Well, I'll go back to my former job uh, in the media as a cameraman. The thing about being a cameraman, we always were the fly on the walls. We were invisible. We didn't get a lot of flack from people. But occasionally when you're, when you're out, especially at a political rally, somehow they assign you to something that they don't believe in and they think you are just the opposite. But people in the media are family oriented they love to laugh we're not out trying to get you or the gotcha questions as uh, some people call it we're just like everyday folks you see us in the grocery store at church taking our kids to the park to play play ball the thing about people in the media we're probably more curious than the average person and that's how you get into media. You want to know who, what, where, and when. I'm enjoying this. Who's your personal hero and why? That's easy. My parents. My parents were civil rights, local civil rights leaders in their own right growing up in Birmingham, Alabama. My parents were always organizing and strategizing to make not only their lives better, but the lives of their children better. So I would always say my parents, just the sacrifices that they, they gave us. I covered every, when I say covered, I have to use uh, layman's terms. I filmed every president while I was a cameraman from Reagan to Obama And one of the things that President Obama would always say that would give me goosebumps because it reminded me of my parents and grandparents, he would say this about his grandmother who pretty much raised him. President Obama would usually talk about his grandmother and he would always say, she poured everything she had into me. And that's exactly what my parents did with me and my siblings. They poured everything they had into us. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? My parents told me if I got a good education, I could change the world. And I believed them. Because a kid from Birmingham, Alabama, growing up in the Jim Crow era of the South in the 60s, to grow up to be CNN's, my former employer, grow up to be CNN's first African American cameraman assigned to the White House, I think that advice paid off.
2: I went to Watts before the Watts uh, uprising and I noticed then the lack of hope on people's faces, young men's faces in particular, and young women's faces, young black children. You see if if there is no hope, they say they think you say go to school and get a job, but you can't get a job, and you went to school. You say to be nice and I can fit in, but you've been nice and you don't fit in. You say don't use drugs and it, it will be better, but you're no better. You don't use drugs. You see, what happens with the fundamental element is a hopelessness. If you as professor, as teacher, if you say, I understand this, now, there is a way out. The only way to freedom, really, is here. Here. You can't go up to power and say to power, on the simple face of it, (coughs) give me some of yourself. Cannot do it. So you have to free the brain You have to have as much information as possible. Put it in here. All of it. All knowledge. Please say this. All knowledge is spendable currency depending upon the market. (laughs) Okay?
0: Let's see. What do you wish you'd known when you were starting out? Hmm. Just stay the course, you're doing okay. Don't listen to the naysayers because they're called naysayers for a reason. That's all they do all day. Just do your thing and don't worry about what anyone else else is saying. Give me one really great tip on anything. Always listen to your heart. It's hard to do sometimes. There are so many voices telling you to do other things. But there's no one that knows you better than yourself. And sometimes you have to shut other people out. Well-meaning people, but sometimes you have to say, I'm going my own way. Tell me about a time you experienced or witnessed an injustice and what influence that had on you. Well, earlier in my speech, I spoke of a poll tax, and I have two receipts that my father and mother were forced to pay being African Americans growing up in the South. And a story that my late brother, my older brother, he was a child of the 50s, would often tell us. There's a beautiful photograph of my father with a horse. It's not his horse. My father, my mother, And my brother Joe, and this might get back to injustice. I didn't witness it, but it was something that would always bring tears from my older brother Joe's eyes because he was a child when this happened. Beautiful Sunday in Birmingham, Alabama, my hometown. My father, my mother, and my brother Joe are going out to buy ice cream after church. So they're all dressed up in their Sunday best, and they get on the the bus, and back then black people had to sit in the back of the bus. It was a law, can you imagine a law stating such a evil? But they did, and my father paid the bus driver a dollar and my father expected, I think, 50 cents in change. And the white racist bus driver said, You only gave me 50 cents, and my father knew he had a dollar. But the bus driver being white and my father being black, he had the upper hand because society would always back the segregation. And my father was a big man, and he was a man of peace until you angered him. And my father wanted to strike this man, but my mother stopped him because she knew the bus driver would get on his walkie-talkie and call the police, and my father would be beaten, jailed, or worse. So my father said, keep the change. And he got off the bus, and he said, this is not the last of it. This is a long story, but I hadn't thought about this in a long time. And my father wants to walk back to our house and get his pistol and confront this bus driver, because that's what he's mumbling under his breath, and my mother is saying, don't do it, don't do it. And my father, feeling humiliated in front of his family, his way of solving this great injustice was to go and get his pistol and perhaps shoot this white bus driver. So they're walking, and all of a sudden, my father sees a horse tied to a, a hitching post, almost as if you would see it in a Western. Because this is the 50s and it's Alabama. And for some reason, my father stopped because his horse looked like he was saying something to my father, as my brother tells the story. And my father went and he pet the horse's snout, and a white man came out. It was his horse. And instead of being full of hate and evil as the bus driver was, the owner of this horse said, he doesn't usually do that to strangers. He lets me rub his snout, and I'm the only one, so you're, you must be pretty special, sir. And my mother would say how the, the anger left my father's face when that white gentleman said, you must be pretty special, and he called him sir. And my family was one of the few families that had a Polaroid camera. I think we had the first one on the block and my father said to this white gentleman who owned the horse he said do you mind if i take a picture with your horse and the white gentleman said i would be honored so my brother joe took this legendary picture that's legend in my household and my father is standing so tall and proud and believe it or not so is the horse (laughs) And that just goes to show you how fate can turn life. If my father had gone home and gotten that pistol and shot that racist white bus driver, I doubt very seriously if I would be here to tell you that story. That was recorded
1: at our fifth birthday of InspireFest in Dublin. We'll be back next year with a new and improved event on May 21st and 22nd. Tickets are still available and we wanted to offer a little discount code to our listeners. So simply go to InspireFest.com, click on buy tickets and enter the promo code HUMANS2020. That's a promo code of HUMANS2020. Thanks to all our speakers who took part in Real Humans and to our ace team of producers at Bureau. For more about Bureau, you can go to akabureau.com. Thanks for listening.